Broadcasting live around the globe from San Antonio, deep in the heart of Texas, this is Paranormal Analytical. I'm your host, Eddie Hill, and I will be presenting reports and evidence of some of the most astonishing paranormal claims. I'm joined by my co-host, Renee Rodriguez, and our director and producer, Miguel Cantu, who'll be monitoring the chat room and phone line. We have a fantastic show for you tonight that will open your minds to the infinite possibilities to explain our universe. Get comfortable and prepare yourself for the best paranormal show in the world. This is Paranormal Analytical. Hello and welcome everybody. My name is Eddie Hill and welcome to Paranormal Analytical. We are the best and most fastest growing paranormal show out there right now. We'd like to welcome you to our show. With me right now, I've got Miguel Cantu. Say hi, Mike. Hello, everybody. We're sitting in right now in Eddie's little studio, and we've got some special guests today, as long as, uh, as well as our co-host Renee Rodriguez. That's right, Renee Rodriguez. Renee, you out there? Uh, howdy, y'all. <laughs> he is a man of many words. Yeah. Howdy. He, he lives to say he, howdy. He loves to howdy. It's a Texas yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. Hey, if I live in Texas, I might as well say it. Right. Absolutely. I agree with you, dude. You know, and the one cool thing that we have going on right now, we have some really special guests, and I am going to introduce them to you right now because they're going to be doing a lot of talking, and we're going to have a lot of really cool information out there for you guys. We have uh, Leslie Mitz and Robert Miles. Tell you a little bit about them. Leslie Mitz has been researching the paranormal, UFOs, ET encounters, and cryptid sightings for many years. Having served as a former state director of Tennessee with MUFON, that's a mutual UFO network, currently she is primarily focused on raising public awareness of a largely unknown and deadly cryptid creature commonly called a dogman or werewolf. She co-authored a book on this creature with Robert Miles entitled Lycanjoid Super Soldiers and the Freedom War. It's a fictional story about a real creature which describes its true capabilities. The back of the book contains all known factual data on the creature in a concise format. 
Leslie and Robert are also working on a Dogmen TV series, which is Hunt for the Deadly Dogmen. Robert Miles is perhaps best known for his award-winning documentary film, Fast Walkers, and also numerous other films in worldwide distribution, such as The UFO Chronicles and Fast Walkers Open Files, series which is on Amazon Prime, Vimo, and other international platforms. Welcome, Leslie, and welcome, Robert. How are you guys doing? Hey, great to hear you. Yeah. We're doing terrific, and it's a real pleasure to be on the show tonight with all of you. God, you know what? This is going to be such a great show, and the main reason being is because we all have something in common right now. We're working on werewolves. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's how we met. That's how we met. And we're going to get into a little bit of that story later on, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> well, that is so awesome. You know what? You know, as great as it is, we've got to dig into the roots of a lot of this stuff. And what I want to know mainly, and I know you and I, have, we talked about this, you know, many different times, you know, during our uh, conversations, you know, dealing with the dogmen and the werewolves and, and that kind of a deal. But take me back to the time when you were first introduced into the world of the dogmen or werewolf, as most people know. Okay, how I originally got into all this? Absolutely. You know, what how, What was your first encounter as far as your first experience with dealing with this type of a creature, and what were your thoughts on it at the very beginning? Well, uh, I thought it was uh, ludicrous. I thought it was a fantasy. I thought it was a joke. I thought really somebody was probably just playing a, a trick on me. So you, did, you didn't think it was real. But when did this happen the first time? Oh, my goodness. This probably goes back uh, maybe eight or nine years ago, maybe a little longer. I used to work uh, as a producer on Jerry Pippen's show that's like this one, and it was international also. And um, I got to know a lot of people through his show. And one of the listeners... Um, got to be a friend and um he was telling me about some people that that a lot of people were essentially disappearing all over the country it wasn't being publicized and he thought it had something to do with these creatures and he said there's some of them that live on his land he had a you know a ranch or a farm whatever you want to call it and um, he had seen them, and he had also seen them rape his horses and cattle and kill other animals, deer and so forth. And he knew they were very dangerous, very deadly. And um, he also said there seemed to be um, a large, large pod of them in not too far away in Louisiana. And I said, well, what are these things exactly? And he called them werewolves. And that's when I thought, well, he's just played a joke on me. He fed me the line and I fell for it. So I thought it was just a joke. And um, so we know he said, no, 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 these things are real. And he just started telling me about it and describing more and more detail. And I you know, know for a fact this man, he's not a person who lies, exaggerates. He's a very honest person. And um, so that's what made me listen to what he had to say. And um, they eventually moved from that property to another area, not really far away, but they wanted to get away from that particular area. But um, 
we were originally going to go out there and um, do some kind of a hunt in that area, but it's taken me a long time to find the right team of people, as you know, to uh, go on a hunt to safely check these, these creatures out. Because when you know where there are some, you just don't go walking in there because they're so dangerous and deadly. People have been killed and torn to pieces. So that's how I actually found out about it. So after you found out about it, that piqued your interest. And then you wanted to go and research it more. So did you find that some of these sightings, is, or as far as the people that were missing, if they ever turned up, that they were uh, badly mutilated or or were they tore up? Or I mean, what was, what was the shape of the people that were located that leads you to believe that this was some sort of a uh, creature such as a werewolf? Well, when I got to looking into the fact that a lot of people have actually disappeared, um, that's when I found out that actually David Pilatus was doing research on all these people who have disappeared, and he was ahead of me in that aspect of it, and already doing research. He's a former police detective, so I went ahead and just let him go with that. I wasn't going to duplicate the work he was already doing, and he had access to a lot of um, police files and so forth. So um, I've read all of his books and um, in many of the cases I can see where a creature like this could have been responsible for the disappearances of these people and killings and mutilations when they have had some kind of a body, a corpse to work with. So um, He's done a tremendous amount of research, and it's truly a mystery, all the information he has dug up as to what it is. But I'm kind of thinking there's a strong possibility it might be this wolf and dogman type creature that may be behind that. And um, other than that, it took me quite a bit of time before I even started hearing about any reports on this creature. Uh, the first one that was probably the most well-known is the, um, they just call it the Michigan Dog Man, where one was seen kneeling um, beside a road with some roadkill. And the way it was kneeling and all that sort of thing is not normal for a wolf. And besides, this thing was really huge. And that was really the first well-reported case. And beyond that, there have been other reports, encounters, sightings, incidents and so forth and so i've just basically been following all these other reports about people that have seen the creature now the people that have seen this creature you act you, you spoke to some witness uh, witnesses and actually received some witness testimony in reference to some of these things and you know basically people who have encountered them have had uh who were close enough to where they could see exactly what this creature was Yes, exactly. Exactly. And um, the um, descriptions of the creature does vary, just like descriptions of Bigfoot varies, depending on where you see these things. Uh, Bigfoot can vary in size. Uh, the face and so forth can vary. It's the same thing with these um, dogmen. Uh, they can vary in size. And um, the body build can vary, uh, the color can vary, and even whether or not it has a tail. Um, but the ones that um, are the most ferocious, there's uh, two types of them, you might call them types 
it's either four and six or five and six. The others are somewhat smaller. They can even appear to be a little bit shy, maybe even hide behind a tree and peek at you, although they're so unpredictable, you don't know what's really going to happen. But there's two that are really big. They call them the bodybuilder types, uh, the Van Helsing kind of creature. Um, they could be eight or possibly as tall as nine feet tall. Very broad-shouldered, very muscular through the chest, the arms, the legs, kind of smaller in the waist. And that's and, what most of us would uh, believe or feel to be a real werewolf. Yes, it looks like a werewolf. Exactly. And that's what um, the original person was telling me about it. He was calling it a werewolf because he didn't know what else to call it. And it wasn't until later that they came up with the term dog man because it looks like a dog, but yet it runs on two hind legs like a man. And it's sort of like a combination of a, a dog with a, some human mixed into it. But yeah, originally he called it a werewolf and still some people do call it a werewolf because it looks like a werewolf, like in Werewolf of London or something. That's what it looks like. And um, usually it has red eyes, occasionally kind of a golden, but usually red eyes. And really long claws, really long teeth. And um, they've also been described as having super senses. Uh, that's another reason why they're so deadly. Um, really powerful eyesight, hearing, and smell. And they're also extremely fast when they're running. So that's why they're so dangerous. Now, I know a lot of people are wondering, Leslie, are these creatures are they human or are they a hybrid or are they their own species do they do they morph or change from a human form into this creature or i mean how, how would you consider that to work well that's what we're really not sure about um with say the bigfoot creature you know you've had a lot of people that have had um, encounters with them written books about them you, we've seen some video of them there's a lot more known about Bigfoot. When it comes down to this werewolf dogman creature, there aren't, there's not really that much information to go on. That's why I collected all known information on the creature and put it in the back of the book to save people from having to read dozens of books just to pull a few details out here and there. And um, anyway, um, Let's see, I got slightly off track there. Um, yeah, let's see, what was your question again? Uh, basically, if anybody's ever seen these creatures more from human to a, to this wolf-like creature, or, you know, basically, are could they be their own entity, or are they their own species, basically? Well, yeah, you're right. We're not really sure. Um, you know, we're, we've been wondering if it's like some kind of an extraterrestrial creature, or an intradimensional creature, because we're not even sure actually what Bigfoot is. Like, has it always been here? Um, or did it come from somewhere else, um, like another planet or another dimension? It's the same thing with this creature. We don't know its actual origin. But um, I've gotten some information from some people that seem to lead me to believe right back to the original premise of the book, when we came up with the term lichen droid, uh, lichen mean like a wolf, and droid like an android, like a 
created creature that's a hybrid between a wolf and a human to create possibly a super soldier that may be a military experiment gone bad. Like there might be two categories of these creatures. There's the actual creature itself, and then there's these lichen droids that are an actual um, lichen creature. Kind of like a hybrid, maybe. Yeah, where they added in some human characteristics to make it a super soldier. And we do have some information just even recently that that may be the case. So we're still not sure. We're just sifting through cases to try to figure out exactly what they are. Now, some of this stuff actually came up not long ago where these where, where it showed that the government could possibly be, uh, I, I guess it was like a government conspiracy cover-up type thing where they were creating these super soldiers. And this has been out for quite some time. But yet, they have not, uh, of course, no one's going to come out and tell you that these things exist. Did you find that out during your research as well? All right. Well, we've we've, uh, talked to a few whistleblowers that have been involved in things like that. And uh, they have indicated that these very well could be military super soldiers. And we're just assuming they got loose somehow and got out there. We're hoping they didn't turn them loose on purpose. But then, of course, you've got the lichen droid super soldier, and then you've got these still the deadly dogmen, these big bodybuilder types that may be a natural form of whatever this thing is. Hey, but Leslie, whatever so they are, they are deadly. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we got a couple people in the chat room that are listening in, and, and they do... Uh, believe wholeheartedly that these things do exist and some of them have a couple of opinions uh, they want to share so Sharon is uh, mentioning that they're very much flesh and blood uh, and possibly telepathic too uh, another listener Journey Home mentions that they're extra dimensional do you believe in that as well yeah I kind of feel like they might be more from like another dimension as opposed from another planet just like I kind of suspect Bigfoot may be the same thing and um, we have had reports that some have been killed um, either by, you know, shooting them or actually even being hit by some kind of a vehicle because one was found on the side of a road. And um, so, yeah, they are flesh and blood and they can be killed. But all of this stuff as far as uh, silver bullets, that's just more or less myth and that kind of a thing, right? Yeah, that just came out of a movie like back in the 30s. I did get a report, though, that its heart is actually on the opposite side of the body. So if you're actually going to shoot it to kill it, shooting its other side of the chest would probably be a good idea. If you actually were in a situation where you had to save your life, that would be the place to aim for with a very powerful gun. Because they're um, these super soldier types, these big bodybuilders, their skin um, has some kind of... a um, extra toughness to it where it almost would repel a normal bullet so you've got to use some heavy ammunition to penetrate it to actually do some damage to slow it down Hmm, that's very interesting uh robert uh can you tell me your experience with this uh dogman or the werewolf well it's um it's a pleasure to be on your show with all of your investigatory team and uh 
When I first heard Leslie talking about this, of course, I thought it was probably someone just making up a story. And she became so interested in it that gradually over time, I started looking at the information as well. And then she started saying, we have an obligation to warn the public that this creature is out there and how dangerous it is. So we're going to have to write a book. And I thought to myself, this is still a fantasy, but I began to research it as well. And over the course of a couple of years, this became so intense in our lives that we sat down and we began to figure how could we approach a book on this subject because in terms of the number of actual cases and the whistleblowers and the people that were telling us their experience most of them didn't want to be on camera most of them didn't want to put their names down and so because of leslie's diligent work we actually put into the book that we finally wrote called Lycan Droids, Super Soldiers, and the Freedom War, um, we do have authentic cases and people that documented uh, their own experiences, which in some cases were really horrific. Leslie can tell you about one case where one of these super Lycan Droid hybrids, from my opinion, they are hybrids, and they're probably the result of a military experience and experiment, but I don't think it's accidental that they're loose. I think they were loosed on purpose because there's been some cases where there's actually been a computer chip found within one of the bodies. So they actually found a computer chip in the body of one of them? Yeah, it was kind of like a baby. And uh, the guy that found the body had a friend that was a coroner and took it to the coroner for them to check out the body of this creature. And they found this baby. And uh, he was called back to the coroner's office. And there were some guys there from some kind of an agency. I don't know if it was FBI or what. But um, the guy that found the body was essentially threatened and his entire family was threatened and said, if you tell anybody about this, you and your family are going to be dead. So apparently we think that that BB-like pellet uh, that was fairly big, it was almost like the size of a Civil War mini ball. Um, we think it may be some kind of a tracking device put in there, you know, by some kind of a military group to either find out or keep track of where they are, or possibly even control them. That's why we kind of went with that direction in the fictional part of the book. Because uh, anything to do with a creature in the actual fictional novel is based on um, true capabilities of the creature, like the, uh, the way they can run that fast, jump up into trees. They can really jump high. So really, that part about the creature, all throughout the, the book, the fictional book, is all true because when we were writing the book, you know, what it was that we found out to, to us was so shocking that people just flat out wouldn't believe it 
So we felt like we had to couch all the information into a fictional book just to get the information out there to kind of get their brains and emotions able to accept such a creature uh, before they could even understand this really could happen to them even if they go out in the woods hunting, fishing, camping, and that sort of thing, take their kids to camp. So uh, that's why um, we put the, the actual known data in the back of the book. But the fictional part, it's all around a fictional story with a lot of conspiracy and so forth. But the, the part about the creature is pretty much true throughout the fictional novel, what it's capable of doing. That's totally, totally incredible. And, you know, I, I've talked to you about this before, Leslie, and uh, I've told you that doing paranormal investigations as long as I have, I can wrap my mind around hauntings. I can wrap my mind around UFOs or aliens or, you know, uh, Bigfoot, things of that nature. When I became involved with uh, the dogmen or these werewolf creatures, I have to say that was probably about the hardest thing I ever had to wrap my mind around. And I try and keep an open mind and I preach that a lot. But I have to say that was very, very difficult to do. And, uh, <laughs> And, and we're going to get into a little bit more of that story as far as uh, how I got involved in it and uh, some of the things that transpired and how Leslie and I met coming up here real soon. But uh, first thing that we're going to do, I think, is we're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. And we will be back right after this. OpenEyes Network now airs a live simulcast on YouTube. Our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash OpenEyes Network, features not just our live content, but other videos as well, and is always active. So now you can tune in in many different ways. OpenEyes Network shows air Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live. Be sure to visit OpenEyesNetwork.com to find easy-to-use links to get to all of the places that you want to listen to our shows. And don't forget, all of our shows will now be archived as well on YouTube. There is a better radio show, beyond that which is known to the people. It is a radio show more informative than others, and as timeless as infinity. It is the equilibrium between light and dark, between the sheeple and the paranormal, and it is heard at the base of man's ignorance and at the summit of his knowledge. This is the radio show of imagination, a show we call The Secret Teachings.
Open Eyes is dedicated to finding the truth in all matters. We are not afraid to be politically incorrect or to ask questions. Whether it is the paranormal, government cover-ups, the dark agenda that the puppet masters have in store for us, or aliens and UFOs, nothing remains hidden. Listen to Open Eyes, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on LateNightInTheMidlands.com or OpenEyesNetwork.com. Open hearts, open minds, open eyes. Ben Franklin said, If you do the same thing tomorrow as you did today, you're going to get the same tomorrow as you got today. Changing the world starts with you, and changing you starts with changing the way you think. Late Night in the Midlands can help. Listen to all of our shows at latenightinthemidlands.com because things really do need to change. And we are back. My name is Eddie Hill. This is Paranormal Analytical, and we're with Leslie Mitts and Robert Miles. And I have Renee Rodriguez as a co-host and also our director and producer, Miguel Cantu, sitting here next to me. And we were talking about werewolves or as the book that Leslie and Robert wrote called Lycan Droids. So what we're talking about right now is basically how we became involved with this creature. And Leslie, you had an experience before I did uh, on social media dealing with uh, some of these things and, and people that were contacting you. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it really started uh, back in uh, December, I guess maybe mid-December, and uh, someone on Facebook contacted uh, Robert and me about um, about her son that had been attacked by a wolf that uh, apparently was um, an actual werewolf, not exactly the kind that we'd been working with. And... Um, because I, it, it changed from a human to a wolf. And that was uh, in a totally different category of what I'd been dealing with. This seemed to go in a totally different direction. Where it involved something more like um, a skinwalker. Um, initially, that's what I thought it was more like a skinwalker. Someone that could change from a human into a wolf. But still, you know, be deadly, attack. Right. And Renee, I know you've been sitting there kind of quiet, but you've been doing a lot of research uh, while we've been having the radio show going on. What's come to your mind so far as far as right now? Well, I come to the same conclusion when we first started talking about this. I, I really couldn't believe. You know, I do I do have an open mind about these things, but uh, when I hear about werewolves, it's just... You know what it is? Because I started watching werewolf movies as a kid, and I, I never took it seriously, but then actually doing research about werewolves. Um, there has to be some validity to this because there's so many, there's so much mythology about werewolves. So uh, the one I really do enjoy is like the, uh, the, the, the uh, legends from Mexico. So the legend of Mexico is that these, these 
these spirits or these Nawals uh, are shapeshifters. And they, you know, it's been around for about 300 years, the mythology. And they believe that uh, some of the shamans or powerful men could transform into these creatures. And there's legends all around the world. There's some in Germany. There's some in Europe, all over Europe, uh, United States. There, so there has to be something about this. There has to be either some kind of of a lost creature, you know, something that we just tell, you know, we never really found until now. It's kind of peeking out every once in a while. Uh, I know you're talking about interdimensional creatures. It's kind of, you know, it, the whole interdimensional thing, I, I talk about every once in a while, but it's still kind of hard for me to wrap my head around, like, the interdimensional side, too. But there's so much there's so much discussion around the world about this stuff. So I would believe there has to be something out there. There definitely has to be some kind of creature that looks like that out there. There's no other way. I no agree with way. you. And, Leslie, I mean, you had these things when they started contacting you and these people started contacting you. It, it actually ruined your Christmas, did it not? Yeah, it did because it was um, so strange and so shocking. And just some things that were happening with it, um, it didn't seem to me like it could possibly be a joke. Um, because it's like things were known that they shouldn't have known. But... You know, I got to checking into it deeper, and it seems like with um, a lot of these people that are connected with this thing in this particular area, it appears that it's been going on with them for years. And it wasn't just like uh, me or even you that they were kind of like just trying to play a joke on, but it's been going on for um, a long time. And even the original person that told me about this, that saw the dead body, you know, with a coroner and so forth, he originally called them werewolves. And he did mention that there's a large pod of them in northern, I think he said northwestern Louisiana, which is really where a lot of these people are that were contacting me. And then, of course, you beginning in December, which is kind of ironic. And like I said, they, these people seem to have been involved in this for years. It just seems like a bit much if you're playing a joke for it to be carrying on this long with that many people. Well, yeah, and a, an additional factor in that that really caught my attention, some of these people claim to be with some agency of the government, and they seem to have information that would be very hard for the average person to get. And this was what was so shocking about this incident that started really to become intense on Christmas Eve, and for the next three or four days, Leslie was completely taken back by it. I mean, it totally fractured her reality mm -hmm. to accept that some of the things she was being told by this cadre of people were true, or whether it was all some type of a psychological test, I'm not sure. But I know it had a tremendous impact when that information came out. 
Yeah, it just seems like an awful lot of people have gone to an extreme amount of trouble to play just jokes on people and for it to be continuing for this many years. So, you know, it's just hard to believe it's just basically a joke. Well, you know, when we were first contacted, we were not even looking into any aspect of skinwalkers, werewolves, lichens, anything. You know, we were simply doing a radio show. We were simply doing our investigations, dealing with hauntings, UFOs, aliens, uh, abductions, uh, Bigfoots, that kind of a thing. We had... We hadn't looked into a, a case of skinwalkers in many, 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 many years. And uh, when we were contacted, we were basically warned to stay away from the skinwalker or the, the, the lichen and not go anywhere near them and to, you know, cease any type of investigations. And... I thought, well, that's odd. You know, we're not hadn't been looking into anything like that, so I have no idea what you're talking about. So I was, you know, I told them, okay, no problem. Have, you know, I wasn't looking into it anyway. Well, it wasn't until the following day, after that initial contact, where we started getting flooded with information regarding uh, these uh, skinwalkers or werewolves and, and things of that nature. And it was just an incredible flux of information that was coming in. Uh, Miguel, our producer, uh, we decided we were going to go ahead and handle this as, uh, I, I guess, in a police-type fashion since I'm prior police officer with 26 years. And so we started basically charting it and fi trying to find out who is who and what's what and where they're coming from and all this other. And we had over 30 different people contacting us with information regarding these werewolf type creatures that were out there and uh we started finding out that a lot of them were fake profiles people were hiding but they were hiding behind these fake profiles they were just trying to get us information some were wanting us to go after these things some were warning us away it was just it, it was a never-ending stream of information day and night that we were getting flooded with on social media uh, which is where uh, your name, Leslie, came up in the whole uh, ordeal, and you and I ended up meeting. Uh, so, I mean, it was it was to the point to where, you're right, there was an awful lot of information, a lot of trouble that people were going through to try and create this story, you know, to the point to where you have to actually stop and think, is it really worth all the trouble they're going through to create a story such as this and try and make it real? And honestly, I could not for the life of me, you know, think of it being as something that was logical. And, you know, so a lot of it, I think there was some iffy parts here and there, I would have to say a lot of parts that make you stop and think, you know, but for the most part, I mean, there was a lot of information that was coming out that you're right. There was it would be real hard for them to get in certain ways, and and uh, some of it was just so accurate it wasn't even funny. But uh, it makes you stop and think if these things were real. And you and I, Leslie, we we got in contact with each other and we started trying to put two and two together because there was just so much information coming our way. This 
you know, if you were looking at this as a uh, police case, I've worked, you know, multiple homicide cases that did not require this much effort or work to get to the bottom of. I mean, it was just incredible. You remember that, how, how we were talking about a lot of this stuff going on, Leslie? Yeah, exactly. And, and even in the first, um, well, right around Christmas week, uh, beginning like Christmas Eve, through about the next few days or a week, um, apparently, um, supposedly, um, up to maybe 20 people were killed. I mean, killed. And, you know, that was another thing that was kind of freaking me out. You know, if these people are actually being killed that are, you know, trying to do something with this sort of thing, um, go after these creatures, whatever they are, human or non-human or semi-human or whatever. It was uh, pretty scary. Um, and I had no way of knowing if these people were dead or not, but it certainly appeared that they were. And it, you just wonder why do people, if it's if it's like some kind of a strange uh, joke, why do they go to such extremes like that? And um, I just can't imagine why anybody would waste so much time and energy on something that's fake. Yeah, I agree. Hey, Renee, um, what was it that you found out about Skinwalker Ranch? You were looking into that a while back. Oh, man, Skinwalker Ranch. Well, what 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 really fascinated me is, uh, is Robert Bigelow of the whole Skinwalker Ranch. So this guy has more money than, I don't know, maybe close to Bill Gates' money. He's got a lot of money. So this guy has a lot of money. And he decides to play around uh, at Skinwalker Ranch. So he, he buys this property. And there's so many rumors about this particular place, if it's, if it's military or some kind of contractor out there. But there's been stories out there uh, from orbs to UFOs, ghosts, uh, skinwalkers. There's all kinds of crazy stuff coming out from this, from this place. And um, I really don't know if any of that is real, is so unbelievable. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this guy actually is doing all these things out there, but he's got a lot of money. Uh, the last thing I heard he was doing, he was building a capsule. Uh, he built it for the space station, an inflatable capsule, and now he's building another capsule that he's going to sell tickets to, and they're going to put it in low orbit, and it's going to be an inflatable like a rat, like a uh, life raft out in space, and he's going to sell tickets for people, rich people, to go up there and sleep in there. And then there's another plan to build even a bigger one, and uh, he's just going to sell it to la like lab space, so he can rent out the place. And man, this guy is going. He's a genius. He's going to make a lot of money doing that if it's if it's successful. So well, he seems like a crazy mad scientist to me. Well, crazy scientists or not, I mean, the whole point of what they're doing over there is to gather research in reference to some of the different types of phenomena that's taking place out there at the Skinwalker Ranch. And I had heard that there was a portal of some sort which had opened up and was filmed in complete darkness. And, uh, of course, they hadn't released it. They've talked about it, but they haven't released it. Um showing some sort of opening that occurred out in the middle of nowhere and some sort of creature which had crawled through 
and then that portal had closed up. So these things, according to the information that was leaked out through a reputable source at the time, I believe are basically saying that these things are interdimensional creatures which can come and go at will. And that being said, I think there could be a lot more to some of these cases involving uh, Bigfoot, UFOs, and that kind of a thing. And that's why we don't really see them constantly, and that's why they can disappear so quickly. It's that maybe they are using some sort of portal to go in and out of where they can uh, not be seen if they don't want to and, and slip back into another dimension of sorts. No, I probably think it's more like teleportation than, than you know, going back to another dimension. That's, that's what I would think they would be using just to go from point A to point B really quick, instantaneously. Because, uh, you know, we keep on throwing, I, you know, I keep on complaining about this, but every time we throw away, inter, you know, throw around interdimensional, it's just kind of hard. Cause it's kind of like a generic term for stuff that we don't understand, you know, like it's, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I think about interdimensional. Now, Leslie, uh, during your research, you, you have uh, said that witnesses have said that these things have pretty much vanished right in front of them, right? Yeah, some people have indicated that they can suddenly vanish like that. And um, as far as interdimensional, you know, they could be coming through a portal um, and leaving the same way. And I, I did read the Skinwalker book several times, and I know when that creature was coming out of that, it was like a tube, um, it was nighttime where the people were at the Scott Skinwalker Ranch, but they said when you look back through the tube, it was daylight on the other side, like it was coming from daylight wherever it had originated into darkness. And also on the Skinwalker Ranch, they did mention that there were several huge wolves that appeared, but those wolves appeared to be like wolves that walked on four feet instead of on two. But, um, yeah, there were so many things that would um, appear and disappear, like even uh, when um, it was at least one bull that they found in a trailer that somehow got put into a trailer that it couldn't possibly have gotten into. Normally, it was way too small. So there were just so many things that uh, just didn't fit like that, that appeared to be some kind of a, a dimensional, kind of a warp thing. And... Um, Bigelow, of course, has now since, um, apparently he got all he could out of the ranch and, and he did sell it and someone else owns it now, but he's still interested in this sort of thing, um, the strangeness of it and also um, uh, the space like Elon Musk and that sort of thing. So he's been in that for a very long time also. Leslie, um, can you explain what happened with Bigelow and MUFON a couple years ago? Okay, yeah, that was well after I left MUFON. I became highly disenchanted with it and left it. Um, but, yeah, there was something about, as I can recall, to make it as simple as possible, and I hope this is going to be accurate, but um, apparently he was contributing money, and the money he was contributing to MUFON enabled him to control people who were on the board of directors to where it was um, not really a group of by the people so to speak it was like it had like a secret agenda controlled by Bigelow's money and what was the agenda 
I'm not really sure. I'm not sure who all really knows what that agenda was. I would have to really go back and read it because when I was reading it back right after it happened, when it was first exposed, um, I don't know how widely it was even exposed, but it was quite complicated and all the details and so forth. And that's been good heavens. I don't remember seven, eight, nine years ago. I'm losing track of time, but it was a rather complicated, secretive mess. What I understood, money and control. Well, what I understood is that he pretty much took the database from MUFON. I don't. That was a rumor that I heard. Yeah, I don't I know. Yes. So I think maybe the only reason why he wanted to do this is just grab all the data. Maybe just doing research. That's what he's doing, gathering information from everywhere he can. So he just buy data from, you know, people's already done it. So that might be a reason why he came in there. I was just It's just speculation. It's a rumor that I heard. Yeah, that possibly so. But honestly, um, when I was in MUFON, I just heard things and saw things that just didn't sit right with me. Um, yeah, one thing that's always kind of, uh, I thought was kind of ironic, when Project Blue Book shut down, that's right when MUFON began. And with Project Blue Book, you know, um, members of the military would go to a, a eyewitness's house, you know, and ask them questions and so forth. And some people were kind of, um, you know, concerned with military showing up on their doorstep to ask them questions. And uh, they might have been not as forthcoming with information. So I kind of always suspected MUFON was just the military's uh, replacement of Blue Book to use just regular, supposedly everyday people to go out and do these reports that the witnesses would be um, a lot more willing to talk and give information about what they saw and everything. And um, also, these people would be doing it for free because with the military, you know, you're taking up um, people's time and so forth, you know, as far as work. So yeah, I think it's just simply nothing but a replacement of Project Blue Book. And um, I know uh, talking to a lot of other state directors, we'd discuss things that were going on in our areas and we'd turn in reports and none of this stuff would ever appear in the MUFON journal. What would come out in the journal would be just boring stuff. And it was almost like they wanted all the information to come in from all the directors but they didn't want to give you back any information. It just seemed to be really a totally information gathering group. And so a lot of us really lost all kinds of trust with MUFON and uh, it almost totally disintegrated a few years ago because it, was, it had lost the trust of so many people. And now they're using a lot of publicity to kind of, you know, bring it back. You know, they're doing a lot of more up to date things. But, um, you know, I frankly do not trust MUFON and um, what their agenda actually is. And so, yeah, if, they, if he was wanting uh, data from MUFON, I think they probably would have just given it to him to answer your question. Oh, yeah, that, uh, that answers my question. Yeah, I wanted to make a comment, too, uh, for the audience out there. Over the course of the last 10 years, one of our goals has been to allow people that want to tell their stories, many people call them whistleblowers, 
And we have begun to do a series of documentaries and interviews that are made public through the UFO Chronicles, which are on uh, Amazon Prime and on platforms all over the world. But we've found that there is indeed an, a, a huge cover-up that so much that the public is told and fed by the mainstream media is false and that the real reality out there is that we've had anti-gravity propulsion for over 20 years and that there is a huge, huge cover-up to stop the people, the general public, from ever knowing what capabilities we really have and a lot of that is linked of course to the oil business and the fact that all these cars and all of these engines and all those things that are running now uh, burning gasoline and oil and keeping the money flowing in is really archaic and Ben Rich who was the head of Lockheed Skunk Works came out and said that we have the ability to take E.T. home and bring him back again. And uh, we found that to be absolutely true. And for those people that are Amazon Prime members, all of the UFO Chronicles are free to view. Well, that's really, really cool because a lot of the stuff that you were just talking about here, Robert, deals with a lot of the government cover-ups, which we hear about so much each and every single day. Uh, you can't turn on the television without seeing some sort of government cover-up. And I think a lot of this dealing with these uh, lichens or these werewolves, I think that there's a lot of cover-ups that's, that's taking place to keep these animals secret. However, because they're keeping them so secret, there's a lot of people that accidentally wander off in areas that they really shouldn't. And they end up either getting hurt or killed or they turn up missing. And that could be a lot of the problems that we run into as far as these people turning up gone and these missing person reports being created. Yeah, I think it's a good time for Leslie to tell you about one particular case where a woman had an encounter. And then also about a very horrific case that occurred where four people... Was it four people, Leslie, the children? Mm -hmm. Yeah, why don't you tell the audience about those mm -hmm. two incidents? Let's go Let's go with the first one right now, and when you finish with that, we'll take a, our halftime break. But uh, I want to hear about that first one, and then when we come back from break, we'll go into the uh, more horrific one from that point. You know, the first one was just uh, about this lady who lives in the Midwest that had a farm, and um, she had um, some horses, among other things. And uh, she was outside, and she was with a young colt that she was uh, weaning. And um, she had a horse trailer there that would hold four horses and also had a tack room, which was obviously big and heavy because those four horse trailers in the tack room are quite big. And uh, one of these, she knew she had these dogman creatures on her property. She had seen them before. Well, this one wasn't even that big, um, and it actually ran at her and attacked, and she got on the other side of the horse trailer, and even though this was a small one, it almost turned the horse trailer over on top of her. So that just shows you how even a small one is extremely powerful. 
and she and the uh, little colt ran into the barn and uh, it punched a hole right through the side of the barn. And uh, she started just yelling and crying and praying and she said it, it just finally left. And she attributed, you know, to prayer. But, you know, she had a really close one there. Yeah, it sounds so, like it. And I mean, when, you, when you're dealing with something like that, I mean you really have no idea what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. They're very unpredictable and very violent. They're almost, especially the big ones, they're almost like a killing machine. That's why we're kind of thinking that they might be some kind of a super soldier. Alrighty, well, we're here with Leslie Mitz and Robert Miles. We're going to take a halftime break, and we'll be back in just a few moments. But I want to leave you with this thought before we go. We have a more horrific story coming up in reference to these werewolf creatures that we're going to speak about. And hopefully we'll get some questions in from the chat room. So chat room people, if you're there, give us some questions and we'll pass them on to Leslie Mitz and Robert Miles. We'll be back right after this. The rising rate of autism is not just concerning, it's a disaster. No matter what the cause of it is, it is something that everyone should be acutely aware of and actively helping out those in the community that have it. That is why Adventures in Autism was created. Adventures in Autism is a show inspired by our life with our son Seth and the many experiences his autism has brought to our lives. Each episode, we bring you the topic of the week news about autism, and resources to help you and your family or friends out in their own adventures with autism. Tune in Mondays at noon and midnight on lnmradionetwork.com or openeyesnetwork.com and get involved in the community. Let our experiences be an inspiration to you. Attention LNM Radio Network listeners. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi available, you can still listen to every minute of the LNM Radio Network by calling 605-562-4203. No smartphone app or internet needed. Saves your data plan and no extra cost if you have unlimited minutes. Call 605-562-4203. 4203 to listen to the LNM Radio Network on any phone, anytime, anywhere. There are days that the red pill is bitter in my stomach, but I can't get it back out. I think because I have to. I speak because I have no choice. I walk through this dark age we're in with open eyes. Listen to Open Eyes on LateNightInTheMidlands.com 
and together, maybe we won't stumble and fall. The Late Night in the Midlands Radio Network is deeply devoted to you, the listener. We feel it is necessary to bring you all of the information that you can use in your life. Each and every day, you will find something to listen to here. And whether you come away from the shows informed, inspired, or entertained, it is our passion. We don't bow to corporations, and we don't have handlers to tell us what not to talk about. We bring you everything. Late Night in the Midlands, however, is fully listener-supported. We need your help to stay on the air and to make sure that we get the bills paid. We need your help to keep the truth alive. If you feel that you have gotten anything out of Late Night in the Midlands, we would appreciate your support. You can become a subscriber and help us out on a monthly basis, or if you'd like, a one-time donation is fully appreciated as well. Every year, the average household in America spends over $3,000 on entertainment alone. If you could help us with just a tiny fraction of that amount, you would make all of the difference. Go to latenightinthemidlands.com and click on the subscribe button. Thank you, and as always, keep yourself informed. Zeddy with Paranormal Analytical. That song just gets me howling every time, you know? Yeah. I love it. But you know what? We have got a great, great show going on with you tonight. 
dealing with werewolves. I mean, this is really cool stuff. And we're going to tell you some information here in just a little while that you're going to absolutely love. But first, we're going to get right back over to Leslie here. And as soon as you get done with that story, we have some questions that have already came into our chat room. And we're going to be passing those along to you after we get done hearing about this really gruesome story that you have for us, Leslie. Okay, well, this is kind of like the granddaddy of stories. It's um, been circulating around for quite a few years now. And um, there's still some people out there that know the woman and the two um, police officers that told her the story. And uh, the people that know them do vouch that this really happened. They know her. They know the police and all that. Or sheriff's deputies, I guess you'd say. And that had to do with uh, a recreational area in western Kentucky, the famous Land Between the Lakes incident. When a family of four went to a camping area in their RV, and there were other people camped there too, and they had left, you know, like maybe in their car to go um, into town to get groceries or something like that. And when they came back, um, it was like a bloodbath had occurred. Uh, the, the two parents, the little boy, the little girl, were essentially not just killed, but torn apart. Body parts strewn everywhere, blood everywhere, um, long claw marks, deep claw marks down the side of their RV. The door ripped off the hinges. And uh, it was so horrific. The people ran back, called the police, and sheriff's deputies and sheriffs came from three counties to investigate this. And uh, they found, actually, the little boy was up in the ceiling area, somehow the RV, and they didn't find the little girl till they'd been there for a while. She was carried up into a tree and was laying across a tree limb, what was left of her. But they said it was about the most gruesome, sickening scene uh, all of these um, law enforcement people had ever seen. Uh, it took a long time for these guys to get over what they saw. It just aged them overnight. And they did um, an analysis of the hair of the creature that did this to all these people and to their RV. And uh, the lab analysis came back that the closest thing to what did it um, was the closest relative as far as an animal was a wolf but it wasn't a wolf and how did so, they come up with this uh this opinion that it was a wolf but not a wolf i mean what what was it that that what did they find that made them you know kind of lean that direction well, they, the father had a whole handful of its hair, and there was other hair and things like that around the crime scene there. And whatever they do when they do an analysis of hair, and they could tell, you know, what it is. But they said it, it wasn't a wolf, but that was the closest thing to what it could possibly be. The closest thing is a wolf, but it wasn't a wolf. And so, therefore, you know, my only conclusion is it had to be this... Um, this wolfing creature. 
And uh, then just a few years later, there was a man that was hunting in the same recreational area. And um, he was also horribly killed like that. And they think also it was the same creature that had killed the family. So it's uh, whatever that is, is apparently still in the land between the lakes area, among other places around the country, because there are certain areas that seem to be like hot spots for these creatures where they're seen and so forth. So basically, when this thing kills, it literally mutilates its victims. Oh, yeah, rips them to pieces. It's almost like, like I said before, it, it seems to be almost like created as a killing machine. Like it goes into overdrive, overkill, like it just enjoys killing and destroying. It's a bloodbath is what it is. It's a bloodbath. Exactly. Like it's a, it enjoys killing and destroying, not just to kill for safety or even like any other kind of wild animal out there, even a grizzly bear or whatever. Um, it, 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 just, it just rips you to pieces. You, you, if you get attacked by one of these... You basically don't have any hope. That's why it's taken me so long to find the right guys who had what it takes to safely go into a hunt to safely find evidence of these creatures. Because your average person just can't go out there with a gun to hunt these to find evidence because, you know, it's just too dangerous. Absolutely. Now, Miguel's got some... uh Questions coming in from the chat room, and we're going to focus them toward you and Robert, and let's see uh, what kind of answers we can get from you. All right. We got a pretty long one here from uh, Dr. Reverend Odin uh, asking, uh, when considering the nature of the book and its reliance to life that has been hidden and secluded, what do you think books, tr- uh, what do you think the book's truth will do to impact the concepts of storytelling to children? Do you believe that parents need to tell children that there are really things that go bump in the night so that real awareness can be natural instead of a childish fantasy. What do you think, Leslie? Yeah, when we were going to try to inform the public about this, like I said, we wanted to do it in a gentle way. That's why we couched the creature in that fictional story instead of saying, this is what it's like and this is what it'll do to you and don't ever go in the woods again. But it's not just the woods. I mean, these things used to be seen in national forests, state forests. And then people started seeing them on their farms and ranches. Then they started being seen in subdivisions. Uh, They've been seen in cities like Phoenix and Chicago. Like right there in downtown Chicago in a park. um, Right there just off Michigan Avenue. A sheriff's deputy and her friend saw one. So honestly, these things are everywhere. And I'm, I really don't want to terrify people and say, don't ever go outside anymore. And certainly, you know, never go out in the woods. But honestly, um, since I found out about them, personally, I don't really go camping and hiking like I used to. I just, I, I used to love it so much. I would go camping on a long weekend by myself in very remote areas. I was never afraid of the woods. I grew up in the woods. I'm not even afraid of Bigfoot. I've even encountered that. But honestly, um, seeing how dangerous these things are and really how fairly widespread they are, I just think that the people, the public, deserve to know 
what's out there so they can make their own decision if they want to go camping, hunting, fishing, hiking, send their kids to camp, you know, let them make an informed decision. And because honestly, I couldn't even tell you what the odds would even be percentage wise, were they to go camping or whatever. I, I have no idea what the percentage would be. We don't have enough data to even know that. But I'm glad that I know, even though I don't enjoy going out into the woods anymore, I'm glad I know because I don't want to be in a situation where I might encounter one of those things. I, I agree. And I'm going to tell you something, and I think uh, uh, Renee's going to agree with me on this as well. I teach my daughter to keep an open mind, and that's all I've ever taught her because I want her to be able to make up her own mind, make up her own or, or create, you know, create her own, uh, I guess you could say her own, you know, make her own ability to be able to uh, either believe or not believe. But when she asks questions such as monsters and, you know, different things of that nature, I tell her there's a possibility. I tell her there's a chance because I'm not going to close her off to the possibilities just by trying to protect her because me personally I feel that if I do that I'm actually doing her an injustice because I want her to be able to make up her own mind if she encounters anything whatsoever because exactly. if you know exactly. if, if she does encounter something and I'm telling her that it's not real then you know daddy is basically going to be a liar what do you think Renee well see the, the, what we're doing right now with uh, what I do with my kids is um I always tell, like we have in our team, we, we're supposed to have flexible minds. And if you don't have a flexible mind, when you counter something like this, it's going to be too unbelievable. Uh, and sometimes our belief also affects how we perceive things. So that's why I'm always preaching everybody that we're supposed to teach our kids to have an open mind. Because if you shut them off at the early age, say, hey, there's no such thing as this and that, then a lot of things that they can be can be seen gets kind of lost because I, I believe that everybody has a, a sixth seventh or eighth sense and uh, we lose a lot of that stuff after a certain age and that certain age is is the time like uh, you've been told so many times there's no such things as ghosts there's no such thing as bigfoot there's no such thing as this and that and um the more we tell our kids this the more they believe it and then they stop using this sixth or seventh, eighth sense they have. And we kind of lose out. We kind of blind ourselves to more reality than we can, can we see. And that, that reality, is, it's uh, that gut feeling. You have that gut feeling in your stomach, like maybe I shouldn't go down this path or maybe I should change lanes this, you know, when I'm driving the freeway, just something tells you, you know, there's something there. That's one of the senses that we lose and I've been teaching my kids, you know, you know, trust your gut, follow your instincts. You know, there's such things as UFOs. There's such things as uh, other life forms that live with us, just intelligent, more intelligent than we are. And I want them to understand this. And I want them to have all these extra senses that they can get. You know, they can have all these extra stuff that most people, at least in the Western world, is, is losing or is almost lost all the way. But. We need to slowly bring back our kids right now. So it's a perfect time for everybody's listening to teach your kids to have an open mind. Not to be gullible, but to actually have an open mind, a flexible mind. And then when we start doing that, then we will start getting better as, as humans because 
we'll have all of our abilities. We'll have, you know, our superpowers back. Right. So and we'll, I think we'll, you're we'll right, Renee. I think we lose a lot of our abilities. The, the more that we're told that something doesn't exist, the more that we're told to think a certain way, as long as we're allowed to think as an individual and keep an open mind toward things, I believe that we become better people as we grow older and we become more open-minded toward things and we're able to make better decisions based on the experiences and things that we've had happen you know, throughout our lives. Yeah, and it, it doesn't kill creativity either, but also I totally agree with the Renee. I, I stay strongly in touch with my instincts. I operate off of it all the time. And I think a kid should always be taught to pay attention to their instincts and follow them. And um, really, I don't want to overly terrify people, but there are some parts of the country that are more prone to these creatures being there. And I've noticed that where the sightings of these creatures occur, they pretty much coincide with these um, hot spots in David Pilatus's books, Missing 411, where people just disappear or they have these really strange deaths. And um, if you kind of steer clear of those areas, or if you live in areas that don't have these particular features, then, you know, you don't have as much to worry about. But there's certain hot spots around the country that I personally wouldn't recommend going into. But otherwise, you know, I really don't want to say don't ever go out in the woods again because I really love trees and forests myself. So, you know, I don't want to take people too far into the extreme in that direction. So, Leslie, you, you mentioned earlier that you had a, a Bigfoot encounter. One of our listeners in the chat room, Journey Home, wants you to, to elaborate on that and tell us a little bit more. Well, it was one of the times I was camping alone way far out into a forest and over a long weekend, and I was sitting up against a tree that night. It was a full moon, and I could hear something um, come from my left um, going to my right, like it's just walking in a straight line right behind me, coming towards me, then passing me. And uh, when it was right behind me, it probably would have been maybe 15 feet behind me. But um, I could tell it was on two feet. And it wasn't a human because it didn't have a flashlight. And nobody would have been out walking in the dark, even though it was a full moon, but it was a, a, a full canopy of leaves. So you can't just walk in the dark out there without a flashlight. So I knew it couldn't have been a human, but it came towards me and then stopped right behind me and then just stood there for about a minute like it was looking at me. And then it just walked on. So it didn't bother me. And honestly, the only thing I can even imagine it was, was a Bigfoot because it couldn't have even been a bear. There's nothing else it could have been, but it didn't hurt me and I'm not afraid of them. So where was this at exactly, Leslie? I mean, where were you at? I mean, I know you said you were out in the woods, but I mean, uh -huh. what state? Um, I was up in uh, North, uh, let's see, that would have been, it was right on the Georgia-Alabama uh, state line, like Northeast Alabama, Northwest, Northwest Georgia, up on a mountain. Wow, so that was more in the southern states. Okay. Mm-hmm, Yeah. That is really yeah, cool. A lot of Bigfoot sightings all over, you know, this general area, just a lot of them. So, you know, I have no fear of Bigfoot. 
No, and you know, that is one cryptid that I think I would love more than anything to actually be able to get a glimpse of or see. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just that that just that, that's an incredible experience. I mean, that is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do have some friends that go out in the forest and they uh, meet up with them and they communicate with them telepathically and they'll take them, you know, treats like apples or whatever. Uh, I've even been told they like those little Debbie snack cakes, which are not really good for them. But, um, yeah, people um, do apparently go out there and communicate with them. And I really don't think there's anything to fear from those creatures. You rarely ever hear of anything dangerous coming in contact with Bigfoot. Uh, in fact, on the other hand, I've been told by people who um, ha- you know, live in kind of like a rural area that they may have Bigfoot in their area and on their property. And then a part of these dogmen may move in, and then there's a fight for the territory, and usually Bigfoot is the big loser. They may even kill some really huge Bigfoot. Uh, that just shows, again, how powerful these wolf creatures are. Uh, they don't mind going up against a Bigfoot, and there's not much of anything on, on this planet on two legs that's bigger than a Bigfoot. But these wolf creatures have no fear. So usually they run the Bigfoot out of there. Then if the wolf creatures move on to another territory, the Bigfoot will come back. But I even had a report of uh, one woman who said um, uh, she was uh, saved from an attack by a wolf creature by a an older, big Bigfoot. Basically saved her life. And um, I think the Bigfoot was basically killed by the wolf creature, but he kind of sacrificed in his own life to save her. Did you notice any kind of uh, telepathic uh, abilities from it? it, it did were, were there any uh, thoughts that were put into your head or any reports that you've heard of that uh, Bigfoot has uh, the ability to, to have some kind of telepathic power? Yeah, the ones that communicate with them say that they do communicate that way, that they don't really have uh, where they voices where they can actually have a conversation or say words. Right. Um, but the way they communicate, it's not like um, getting sentences. It's more like um, kind of chopped up like in words and just kind of feelings. Or you may see one object and you kind of have to determine what does this mean. So the way they communicate is um, it's not really that easy to understand what they're saying. But there's some people that have been communicating with them for so long that um, they feel like they're getting interesting information from them. Um, I don't know of anybody in my area who does it. Um, There are some people in other states like um, Illinois, Oklahoma, and so forth that do that. You know, one thing I'd like to comment on, we often get the question, uh, if there's people that are actually communicating with Bigfoot, uh, then why don't we know about it? And, you know, why isn't it in the media? And why isn't it something that uh, people are willing to bring out? And the truth of the matter is that our, our research over the years has proven that the mainstream media is controlled. And the information flow on some things, there are people that are in contact with the Bigfoot 
And they don't want people coming out there and overrunning their properties and actually impacting on their ability to be with these creatures because, uh, you know, they feel they're actually given a gift to have interplay with the Bigfoot. But when it comes to the media and the truth, uh, a perfect example is that there's currently a series on the History Channel called Hunting Hitler. Well, years ago, we came out with uh, UFO Chronicles, Adolf Hitler's Great Escape, that exposed uh, so many things that the U.S. government and Russia actually assisted Hitler to escape and live in South America along with 20,000 of his key SS people. And yet just now, so many years later, the History Channel is bringing some of this information out. So the general public never know what's really going on unless the powers that be want them to have the information. And I agree with you there, Robert. I mean, that's... uh. I mean, I think you hit the nail right on the head talking about that. And there's so many other instances that, you know, we can talk about as well, if time permitted. But, you know, there is, there has to be some sort of control on these creatures that we're just not aware of yet from somebody. Um, you know, for them to be as strong and as powerful as they are, and for them to be able to basically dismember a person like it was like they were a piece of paper i mean and and still to this day not be publicly known and i'm not saying that they're not known about i'm saying publicly known you know it, it's kind of like bigfoot we we know they're there but there isn't any type of proof saying here it is uh, there's no denying it. We've got it. You know, it's we have one in captivity or we have a body of one or we found a body of one. There's there's no definite proof, but we know they're there. Why? Because so many people that have seen these things cannot be wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even um, not only with the Bigfoot, but with these uh, wolfen creatures, you know, they've been all down through history. You know, there's the the legend of the dog-headed people. There's the Egyptian Anubis, I guess that's how you pronounce it, the creature that for some reason they put its statue at the Denver airport. And there have been legends of werewolves down through history all over Europe. So, you know, the legends have always been there. And you just, you know, usually with some kind of a legend like that, there's a seed of truth in it somewhere. So, you know, you just kind of wonder how long have these things been here? But even um, Dr. Melba Ketchum, who did the DNA study on the uh, Bigfoot from um, parts of Bigfoot that, you know, they, they did the study on, she has actually, in her ranch hand, has actually seen these wolfing creatures on her ranch. And she lives in Texas somewhere, can't remember where, but um, so she's seen them even on her own property. And she's hoping to do a... Um, a DNA study also if uh, parts can be found from these creatures to see exactly what they are. Yeah, and we have uh, a very interesting interview coming up 
with a fellow who has told us the story of the fact that when he was a child, he received a visitation of some dog-headed beings in his bedroom at night. And that visitation continued on for over seven years as he became an adult. And that interview is going to be done probably within the next month or so. And this person is also a military person and an ex-policeman. And he uh, he's decided to go public and he's come to us because he knows that we're going to expose the truth, whatever it is. And that's why we're so excited about working with Paranormal Analytical and the team on this upcoming expedition. Uh, you guys are terrific. And I just want to say, Miguel, I just saw the first cut of your uh, video that's going to introduce this project to the public, and it's terrific. You guys have done just an outstanding job, and you, we're Robert. so pleased to be able to work with you. I appreciate that. All righty. Well, listen, we're going to take our last and final break, and we're going to come back right where you left off, Robert, and we're going to talk about what the future holds and what we're doing to try and expose the truth of this werewolf-type creature. So hold tight, and we'll be right back. Don't go nowhere. I'll be watching. stomach, but I can't get it back out. I think because I have to. I speak because I have no choice. I walk through this dark age we're in with open eyes. Listen to Open Eyes on LateNightInTheMidlands.com and together, maybe we won't stumble and fall. The LNM Radio Network offers a chat room for you, the listener, to connect with others who are interested in the topics and guests that the LNM Radio Network brings to you. During the live shows, the hosts will even visit the chat room and chat with you, the listener. Click on the big red chat and listen button at the top of the website and join us. No subscription is needed at either lnmradionetwork.com or latenightinthemidlands.com. Why subscribe to Late Night in the Midlands, you ask? Well, I'll tell you why. Late Night in the Midlands covers everything, and through the thousands of expert guests who have joined Michael Vera on his show, come pieces of the big puzzle, which started many years ago. Michael and his guests reveal information dating back to the beginning of time. To this very moment, Michael Vera not only brings you the best guests with the best information, but Michael is not afraid to call out those who are less than honest. You see, in this day and age, 
We need a radio show we can count on and a radio host we can trust to expose the truth one show at a time. So become a late-nighter and subscribe now. Talk radio like no other. Late Night in the Midlands, bringing the truth back to talk radio. Do you need toner for your Epson, Hewlett-Packard, Canon, Brother, Apple, or Sharp printers? Look no further than Laser Technologies. In business for over 20 years, they offer the lowest prices on toner on the web. They can also repair your laser printers and toners fast and easy. Call their expert staff today at 561-792-9600 or email us at service at laser-technologies.com for all your toner needs. All toner is shipped nationwide. Why wait? Get the lowest prices on toner call or email us today there is a better radio show beyond that which is known to the people it is a radio show more informative than others and as timeless as infinity. It is the equilibrium between light and dark, between the sheeple and the paranormal, and it is heard at the base of man's ignorance and at the summit of his knowledge. This is the radio show of imagination, a show we call The Secret Teachings. And we're back, and I'm Eddie Hill, your host. Welcome to the best paranormal show in the world. This is Paranormal Analytical. Yeah, so I had to throw that in there. <laughs> but it, is, it is the best. It is the it best. Is. I like it. Okay, and we've got uh, Miguel Cantu, our director and producer, sitting right next to me. We've got Renee Rodriguez, my co-host, on the other end of town, somewhere in a comfy home. And we have our special guest, Leslie Mitz and Robert Miles. And we appreciate you guys hanging with us tonight and listening to the show. We have a great story that we're talking about, which is dealing with the werewolves. Now, we have talked about a few other little things here and there, but the main story is werewolves. I want everybody to understand that this is a very important story because it's something that not a lot of people talk about, not a lot of people try and go look for, and it's because this thing could be very dangerous now uh one of the things that we were talking about just prior to going on break was robert miles and leslie mitts actually wanting to work with us and you know creating this show about the deadly dogmen and that is very true uh robert tell us a little bit about uh what's going on with that well we're excited because uh over the course of all these years since we've been investigating it and even written the book Lycandroids about it, we've wanted to do an actual expedition. We wanted to go out and not necessarily uh, hunt the creature down to kill it, but to document that the creature is real, that the creature exists. And the kind of people that are needed for this are people that first of all, are competent in their ability to defend themselves because in nearly every case that we've encountered, there's terrific danger involved. 
And so over the course of the years, we've asked people and done research, but now the time has come, now that we've hooked up with the paranormal analytical team, you people are the type of people that can go out there and hopefully safely uh, bring this creature into the mainstream and document the fact that it is real and hopefully find out even more about what's behind all this. And I know that most of you have had military training, police training, and so over the course of the next few months, actually beginning around April 16th, we're going to have a campaign running with a terrific company called Seed and Spark to bring this whole expedition to the general public. You know, and you're you're very right. We want to get out there, and we do want to bring this public, but we're not going out there to hunt this creature. I want everybody to understand that. We are not hunting for this creature to hurt it, kill it, or main it, or whatever. We're actually going after it to try and gather proof and gather evidence as safely as possible in order to document it so that Maybe, just maybe, we can all kind of coexist in the same world without worries of going out into the woods and being killed or maybe uh, somebody running into one of these creatures and, and killing it just for sport because that's not what it's all about. We're, if they are here, we're all creatures of this earth. For whatever reason, we're all here. And we need to try and learn to survive together. And that's the whole point. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be going over there carrying lollipops and flowers, you know, but... At the same time, I mean, we, we are going to be heavily armed with uh, big game African rifles, which, you know, can put down a bull elephant. So, you know, we're, we're not going to take any chances. But at the same time, we are hoping and praying that it does not come to any type of bloodshed on their side or our side. And that the most shooting that we do is going to be with a camera and and a film crew and gathering the evidence that's needed, you know, whether it's hair samples, whether it's scat whether it's uh you know any anything whatsoever that we can find dealing with this creature so that it can be properly documented and we can have a team to actually categorize this creature so that we know that it's there people know that it's there everybody knows where the boundaries are so that we don't stumble upon any of them by accident and end up getting hurt or one of us getting hurt or one of them getting hurt and that's the the main thing is that we want to try and document it as safely as possible and film it and bring it to the people so that they can see exactly what this thing is. And we're going to be doing that here really soon. Yeah, we're really fortunate that we have the producer, Miguel, and his skills and talent with the camera, with the editing, with bringing this to life. And we're going to have our first announcement event on April the 16th, and we are in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and you guys are in San Antonio, and we're going to have an announcement event, and I just encourage people that are interested to go to Timestream Pictures, that's just www.timestreampictures.com, and there's a link there where you can... Uh, check in and receive our free updates and information and just click on it and we'll keep you informed with updates. 
All right. So I want I wanted to add to that because earlier Eddie was asking about, you know, when Leslie mentioned the reports of the the gruesome attack and the the fact that these things are so violent is that just because they're bred to be that way? Uh, if if they are being manipulated and created in labs, is that violent nature kind of encouraged? Is it is it pulled out from whatever? uh being it's created from is that just in their nature if it's something that's that's been around for years and decades and millennia like you know the the stories that come from the old world about werewolves and their interactions with vampires and other things that we don't believe to be true um is that just something that they naturally do they they just have a, a is that a defensive or offensive mechanism that's innate in their dna also adding to their dna how does it relate to humans? So if if we can get a sample, how are we going to identify that? Um, Leslie, if you can comment on that, uh, what what do you believe? Um, is it more likely to be a naturally natural existing creature that we just don't understand or know of yet? Or is it something that had it's been manipulated and created uh, where science fiction became science fact? Well, from what I've heard from uh, witnesses, the smaller ones are less violent, maybe a little bit more on the shy side. But even the one that tried to turn over that four-horse trailer with a tack room, even it was trying to kill her. And she said it really wasn't that big. It was just about the size of a regular German shepherd. So... You know, some of them, though, I've heard people say that they, it'd stand on its hind legs behind a tree and peek out. So they're just unpredictable, even with a small one that isn't even the bodybuilder type. Even those are potentially violent. And the way they attack Bigfoot and try to take over their territory, and after what they did to that family of four just camping in an RV in a public park you know i'm just kind of leery of trusting them at all but some of them do seem to be a lot more violent and even looking back about um there's a, one famous story of uh, the beast of gavard in uh france where this gigantic wolf had killed um, so many people, and it, it didn't seem to be just your normal wolf or even just a large wolf that was a killer. There was something about it that it was just so big and so violent, it killed dozens and dozens of people, and it took a huge group of men to finally kill it. And that's just not normal for a wolf. And even Jacques Vallée wrote about this kind of a situation in his Passport to Patagonia book. So, um, honestly, I just feel like these creatures are unpredictable, potentially violent, assume they're going to be violent, but some are more violent than others. I think it's um, part of their innate nature, but some of them are so much more extremely violent, especially the two big bodybuilder types. I kind of feel like they have been bred to be more violent, like they really may be a super soldier experiment. Right. Are, are you familiar with the uh, the Human Genome Project that was completed in 2003, I believe? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I 
whenever I get involved with paranormal investigations with Eddie, I'm usually the most speculative one and I, I question everything and I want to, I want to believe, but I tend to go with what is the most reasonable and possible explanation off the bat. Yeah, so, if you didn't have that beard, I would say you were Scully. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little more Sasquatch. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when when I was going to college, you know, I was I was in the middle of the uh, human genome project happening, and, and you know, they're sequencing the entire DNA of human species. Um, at the time, they were sequencing other other animals as well. I believe that you know, if say we do have a sample of this thing, say we do have a piece of hair some blood, whatever it, get, it leaves behind that we can analyze. Do you believe that there's a database that we can cross-reference or is that co completely under control of government or a private sector that, that we probably have no idea? I think what you're asking, Miguel, is if there is a secure place we could take it where right. we're not going to right. lose exactly. you know, any of the evidence or it's not going to be manipulated in a way to where we are still left with the same question as we were when we arrived. Because as Robert said, like there's the mainstream media is being controlled. Is oh. that, is that something that we can come out with, with this documentary we're working on and not be threatened? Uh, or will it be something to where we're, we're, we're being kind of silenced? Oh, I think, I think honestly, before uh, she answers that, I'm going to tell you, I, I have a feeling we're going to be, they're going to try and silence us without a doubt. But I also believe that there are places that we could take any type of physical evidence that we may find for uh, to, to check as far as DNA, DNA samples where it's not controlled by government. However, we're going to have to keep a close watch on some of this stuff because if it's found out prior to us taking it there, I have a feeling something's either going to happen to the evidence, something's going to happen to us, or something may happen to the scientists performing the test. I, th I think we all need some aliases before we do yeah. all this. So what, now, now, <laughs> now that I've said down. all that, Leslie, uh, I'm sorry about interrupting, but I had to kind of throw that in there. But, I mean, what's your take on it? Well, you know, like I said, Dr. Ketchum, who is, uh, her background is veterinary science, she did the DNA study on what the uh, DNA material was they had from what were believed to be Bigfoot. So she did that DNA study. And she's wanting to do one on this wolf creature since, you know, she's even seen them on her land. So um, she would be a really good one to take the material to, but I certainly wouldn't announce that we have now taken the material to her so it could be confiscated. Yeah, because, I mean, um, you know, back when that body was taken to that corner and uh, those uh, guys from that agency showed up, you know, they said they didn't want anybody to know about it. And if that guy told anybody he and his whole family would be killed so um it just kind of leads me to believe that it is some kind of an experiment a military experiment that they don't want anybody to know about and also in those missing 411 books when people have uh, disappeared kids adults whatever and it's like they simply just vanish for some reason uh green beret will show up in the same area like they're also looking for that person, but they say that they're not, but it's happened several times. And there just seems to be some kind of a military connection to when people also just strangely disappear. It's like they know something, but they don't want to tell anybody any information about it. So, Right. Well, you remember Dr. Ketchum when she went, uh, when she came forward with the 
evidence for the Bigfoot, she was highly ridiculed, not only by a lot of the Bigfoot researchers, but by her colleagues as well that do the same type of DNA testing. Yeah, 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 she was ridiculed, but um, I really think she knows what she's doing. I think they just don't want the information to even get out really on Bigfoot. Well, the real hope is for this to go viral, because if we can engage the public to the point that people are demanding to know, then possibly the information can flow out there. And we, we do have connections to some people that have access to the DNA uh, scanning equipment. Mm -hmm. And we intend to keep those people quiet. And, uh, you know, when we do announce, we're going to announce it to the world, not just to uh, a few people listening to a radio show. I agree. Yeah, Mike, uh, you want to go into it a little bit about uh, the sizzle reel that we did? Yeah, so we, uh, Robert had us organize and, and get together and film the sizzle reel for the Deadly Dogman series so we can pitch it out and try to raise funds to travel and, and go out and do these on you know boots-on-the-ground explorations and actually try to find evidence and get interviews with people that have had these experiences and sightings and, and reports. And... Uh, we went ahead and we published the video, Robert. I don't know if you're you're fine with us uh, announcing it and making it public already, so people can watch it maybe before YouTube takes it down because it does have a couple guns in the video. That's and true. They, it they does. Said that you sure can't have guns in videos. I now. <laughs> yeah, I I think we should put it out there, and okay. we should encourage people to go to TimeStream Pictures, click on that link, and get the free updates on it. All right. Um, we're yeah, so uh, excited to have you guys as part of the team and this expedition going forward. And the, I, the film commission here in Chattanooga is supporting us, and we're doing this event on April the 16th. People uh, will be filming it, so it's going to be uh, a chance to really get out there and expose what we're doing. That's very, very cool, and I think it's going to be going all over the place, Robert, real soon. Uh, Mike, you want to go ahead with uh, where they can find it? Yeah, um, right now I, I have it hosted on YouTube on my uh, Altered Vision Studios page. If anybody wants to check that out, there's uh, the, the first video there, and you can see the three-minute long sizzle reel and see watch Eddie and Renee and our other lead investigator, Patrick Newcomb, as they go out and search for the deadly dogmen and what their approach is to be out in, in the field and uh you know it's just to give people a taste you know it's not it's not an authentic uh investigation but it's just to give you the idea of what we intend to do and how we're going to go out and uh try you to know, find every time things. we do these things we, we find we, find we always find something anyways. yeah that 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 seems to be related to what it is that we're shooting and we have no intention and we have no idea that it's going to be there so a lot of stuff that you'll see in this video it was already there without us even knowing and we just stumbled across it and it kind of fit the narrative of what we were what we were already filming Of that weird chain around the tree you know yeah there in in the video there's uh you know these these prints that we came across that look like huge wolf prints uh a good what foot in length and the stride on it was a good like five six feet in between tracks um and and then uh a little further up the trail we uh, 
find a, a rusted out old chain that had been wrapped around a tree and we were wondering what could have been wrapping or holding this thing restrained but, to this tree for this long. But with that chain though, the crazy thing was is that we ran into a footprint that matched a extremely large canine type yeah. animal. And you know, and that kind of threw us for a loop because I thought, wow. You know, I was going to use something else, but decided to use wow instead. <laughs> uh, you know, it was just, it was amazing. And and once you see the video, you'll see what I'm talking about. But everybody needs to check this video out because it's just way cool. And I mean, and, and some of the things that we ran into when we were doing this was just extremely incredible. And we're really looking forward to getting this thing started and actually getting out there, getting boots on the ground and, and, and beginning the search. Yeah, I can only imagine what we come across when we're actually out there oh, where God. these reports are happening and, and where these things wait. might really be, you know. I can't wait. I know our mad scientist over here, Renee, he's going to be coming up with all kinds of scientific ideas and data. Oh, man. I got I got a ton of experience we can try. But uh, every time I hear these stories about the, the dogman, it just freaks me out. And I'm going to be out there looking for it. <laughs> you are going to be out there looking for it. But just be happy to know that our, our medic on the team, Patrick, is he's our he's our bait basically for everything well, that we no, go the looking funny for. Thing is, like, he's our bait, but we really don't want him to be the first one hurt because if we get hurt, we need him to patch us up. Yeah, but see, the <laughs> thing is with him though, the, the bad part about him being the bait is that you know he's not very big, and I yeah, don't think they're going like to fill a, up. It'll be like a toothpick for it's him. It's going to be a snack. Be a snack. Appetizer. Uh, Leslie has mentioned big several times, but. She's never actually said that this creature goes up around 800 pounds or larger, that stands eight to nine feet tall. And this is the hybrid creature that we feel is probably the military experiment. And so people will be getting a chance to see drawings and illustrations and they'll begin to get an idea as we move forward with this, what we're really talking about when we talk about size of the big ones. Well, we're going to have to start wrapping this up real quick. But, Robert, why don't you give them the web address again for TimeStream and where they can go opt in with the email? And yeah, uh, we'll just, go to uh, call it a night. Yeah, it's just really simple. Just go to www.timestreampictures.com. Uh, the landing page has the official page that we're showing now and we invite you to click on the little green box that gives you a free update you, all you have to do is put in your email so thank you for the opportunity to be on the show tonight with the paranormal analytical team oh god you know it's been a pleasure and and as always it's an honor to have you two around us um without you two i mean all this wouldn't have been even come to be so we're looking forward to actually being a part of this big project and we're hoping that you know any and all information that we do come up with and we find is going to be something that's going to be useful for everybody and be able to keep people safe and also keep these creatures safe as well and possibly enact something that uh will prohibit you know the the harming of these animals or creatures and uh, unless, you know, absolutely necessary. So with that in mind, I uh, want to tell everybody, thank you for being a part of the show. We, we look forward each and every week to be on here with you guys because we just love it. We really do. And this is a big passion of ours. So, I mean, we, we really, really put our hearts into this show and, and try and bring to you 
the the best possible uh, answers to all things paranormal. And we are one of the fastest growing shows on the on the internet and on the airwaves right now with uh, paranormal uh, type topics and that sort of thing. So once again, thank you all. We love you guys. We appreciate it. Uh, from myself, from Miguel Cantu, from Renee Rodriguez, and our wonderful and perfect guests on the show, Leslie Mitz and Robert Miles. We appreciate it. Thank yep. you so much, everybody. Take care. We love you. And until next week, Paranormal Analytical, the best show out there in all things paranormal. Paranormal.